European Public Service Union podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of EPSU Podcast. My name is Boyan Stanislavski. I will be your host today. And as usual with me is the co-host of the program and the initiator of that series of podcasts, Pablo Sanchez. Hello, Pablo. Hi. And now to our special guest, Dr. Vera Wagman, uh, who works as the main researcher, or one of the main researchers, for PSIRU, which stands for Public Services International Research Unit at the University of Greenwich. Uh, her research focuses on public services, specifically privatization, remunicipalization, renationalization, public sector financing, and public sector reforms. While her research spans a wide range of public services worldwide, she has concentrated on waste management and the circular economy, energy policy, the just transition, and public transit. Welcome to the program, Vera, and thanks for my, so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. It's really lovely to be here and to talk about my research. Right. Uh, so let's, uh, let's start with a report that you authored for EPSU uh, with, a, with a very, I would say, uh, interesting uh, title. And the title is The Failure of Energy Liberalization. So let's, let's, let's begin with this. How uh, big has this failure been? Um, how big is the failure of energy liberalization? I would say our report shows pretty big. Um, it depends, of course, how you look. But I guess the best indicators to look at um, the own measure EU Commission proposed, and they, the, the claim of liberalization would lead to um, cheaper prices. That's a the first thing, so cheaper prices of energy. It will facilitate decarbonization of our energy and also um, get rid of the so-called concentration of energy ownership in Europe. Lots of um, like public companies and there were big public companies and the whole idea was, oh, oh the public companies are not, we, uh, we need to cut them down get the market in, liberalize and have companies compete with each other. Um, and it will be more efficient. So what do we see in terms of outcome? In terms of the concentration, uh, we see that we actually had a concentration of um, energy companies. So we saw merger after merger, and in the end, there were like about four um, four or five companies left. Uh, so all these public companies, public companies just on one so it didn't help in that regard so study after academic study showed that um, actually energy liberalization to less efficiency and higher prices um, and I have, am not, by no means the first one who has argued this that is already in 2013 which compared um, in, um, countries back then over period of 30 years and um, actually public ownership is more efficient so yeah so I'm not the first one who's who is noticing that animation is less efficient and, and the prices are higher so obviously I understand now that the, but, 
I just wanted to ask, I understand that it failed the consumers and it failed the public sector, but it probably did not fail the owners of those companies that have vastly benefited from, from that. So I, I suppose that there are contradicting reports out there saying that inner energy liberalization is fantastic and it works perfectly and it's, it's great. Is, it, is that the case? Yeah, that is completely the case. Um, I mean, much profit is to be made in energy, and the most profit is probably made in the UK, um, where uh, uh, billions are made by the national actually 1.4 billion, um, the national grid profit in 2020 and um, 21. So, huge numbers of like a lot of money. I should say that the UK is the only country. Europe, or if we count the UK to Europe, Portugal, which um, uh, privatized the energy grid. So we're not just talking about um, production supply grid. So the grid is a natural, there can only be one grid. Um, so if you if this, you, you give it essentially a huge profit opportunity to the private companies. Portugal, I should say, has only Done an, um, uh, due to pressure, bail, 2011 bailout agreement. You can see this. Yes, there's a lot of money to be made, so they benefited. But again, just to we can say um, more concentration of ownership. You profit, uh, companies which profited a lot. We can then say more um, like higher energy prices and therefore also poverty in Europe. Um, fuel poverty is rising dramatically it has been rising for years and obviously the new um, stark rise in energy prices will not will not help so we even more fuel fuel poverty in the future and as a third aspect if you ask me how did it fail is uh, well uh, the whole idea of decreasing the energy sector so there was that it energy liberalization um however what we see the opposite that we only size in renewable energies they have been subsidized by the, and uh, we also see um, the privatization um, of energy not helpful at all in in uh, more greener energy the opposite that often companies really have their heels in and, um, uh, carbon intensive energy systems was more profit can be made in those areas. So, in general, for example, we see a huge wave of remunicipalization re back to public ownership, exactly because the people realize that because of privatization, um, they cannot um, achieve the green goals and the green energy. So, yeah, it failed in the right. aspect. Right, thanks. So let me just for a while bring Pablo in. Could you, yeah, could you please weigh in and, and tell us uh, a little about the circumstances of, of creating that report? Like in what circumstances was this, uh, was this report uh, uh, written and, and, and why has EPSU ordered it? Well, I mean, she's very, just mentioned most of it, um, but it was the 20th um, anniversary um, as a celebration. <laughs> that was ironic, by the way. Um, we thought that it would be good to look at something we, as an organization, had criticized since day one. 
because we are accused very often of being dogmatic. But here we see the Commission and most member states, I say most just to be on the safe side, that maybe sometime in the past a country said maybe this is not a good idea. But if not, the bulk majority of governments for the last 20 years have actually said liberalizing the energy sector will be more efficient, will be good for the consumer and so on. And we have a ton of statements. We actually did a little video with the commissioner that was in charge of the dossier at the time, Loyola de Palacio, actually saying this is like the um, telecoms sector, which it, it is not for starters. And second, we could actually discuss the telecom sector, but that's probably for another podcast. That's another show. That's right. Yes, yeah, let's just stick, stick to electricity. Because the proof of the pudding is the situation that we're living now. Uh, it was interesting that Vera mentioned what happened in Portugal. Um, because even after 10 years of liberalization, where this information was, this, the, the facts that it wasn't working, were there, Commission, European Central Bank, and IMF pushed Portugal and pushed Italy, although they were not uh, strong enough in Italy, actually saying privatize the, the grid. Mm -hmm. They actually said it in writing to Italy. Well, they said it in writing to everyone, but they, the documents didn't leak in Italy. The, the press actually got hold of that. So it actually proves that there is a vested interest from the part of European and national politicians to actually go that way. And that's when we enter the discussion about the revolving doors. Just, just take the Spanish case for sake of argument. It's just like the, the, every other week, the price of electricity is a historic peak and historic peak and historic peak. And then if you look at the Minister of Energy for the last 20 years, they've all ended up as CEOs of any of the three or four electricity companies. Um, with like 300, 400, 500,000 uh, euros a year in the payroll. And, well, you know, you just need to add two plus two, and then it makes four. So there has been a, a, a serious uh, um, um, conjunction of interest here from uh, some investors and who basically pushed governments. And they said, look, you're also going to win from that. And really the loser here is the average, the common person that actually has to pay every month, month in, month out, the electricity bill and millions in, in, in at the European level can't afford that anymore. And this is uh, in the middle of this, uh, we need just transition and the COP and so on and so forth. So there is, there has to be a, a, an understanding that we have a serious problem with the electricity sector and the solution the, for both climate and uh, social issues is to take it back into public ownership. Right, right. Vera, could you please react to uh, what Pablo has said? In, in Because you, you did mention certain things about public ownership being actually more effective in, in most ways uh, from the point of view of the consumer and from the point of view of the development of society and sustaining the society and so on and so forth. That public ownership is, is, is better, uh, even if there are incidents when it's crony and when it's bureaucratized and, you know, all the rest of it. But, but still... Uh, can you can you speak a little bit about this liberalization and the dynamic of this liberalization? Because Pablo mentioned uh, things like the IMF and other institutions just simply instructing the governments and saying, you go ahead and privatize that because otherwise we're going to do this or that to you. And, and I wonder whether now, you know, when uh, it seems like there is a 
there is a growing global consensus on on this failure, on acknowledging that it has been a failure, then is there also a pressure on those entities to which the energy sector has been largely privatized to, uh, you know, uh, to uh, revert the process, because you said that remunicipalizations happen, and I, I assume certain renationalizations as well. Can you briefly speak about this? Sure. Um, yeah. First of all, let's just like take a step back. You just said, oh, you know, sometimes why is Russia better, even even though maybe some. Uh, public comment may be bureaucratic and there's cronyism. And that's a very, very interesting myth of uh, um, debusting in these EPSO reports that actually it's tackled cronyism and, 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 and think of yourself if you like a CEO or like a head of like leading a private company. And if you get a government contract, let's say for something like energy or waste, they very long, like decades long, like races sometimes depend on the sector and what you're looking at but we are, we are talking about sometimes uh, which are up to 50 years so you have a guaranteed profit stream of course you're going to do everything in your power to win this contract and not um like another competition company win this contract so there is a use for cronyism and corruption and we see this again and again we saw it massively that um actually a lot of cronyism happened, often behind back doors and the rush of the pandemic to happen quickly and private providers come in. So um, that's that's in another report we are just writing um, for EPSO on prioritization in central government. We're looking exactly at that. But it's the same problem in, in energy as well. If we look at, you said, bureaucratic. So let's demyth the bureaucratic bureaucratic system of the public if you have more prioritization and more and more companies involved you end a very fragmented system where one hand is not knowing what the hand is doing because the other hand is in another company so it gets even more complicated very inflated you end up with an inflated public sector but it's not so called the public sector because by private companies. So in the end, we actually end up with more bureaucracy. Um, I don't know if I should say a bit more the benefits of public ownership generally. Stop here. Sure, sure. Uh, and, and also, please explain uh, how this remunicipalization and renationalizations do start to happen that you mentioned. So, the realization, um, like we can say, counter trend however we should not say oh yeah everyone understood now that prioritization did not um prior to the prioritization is so strong it's ideology like people yeah. governments around the world still that private can do um so, so why we do see remunerations and renational we've seen the same uh, um a big privatizations as well so very much on the sector and the country so it's good to give you like a broad overview published with um so sister organization public service international a guidebook like 
focus on remunicipalization. We will continue to do work on, on that um, with EPSO and PSI. So if anyone is interested in that, I really um, want to encourage you to, to look at it. So, but generally depends on the sector. In energy, we saw the rise of remunicipalizations in Germany. Um, uh, interestingly enough, not like so with the energy system, of course, we have the grid, then uh, then have the so distribution and supply system, and we have production. So in Germany, we see that there are a lot of um, remunicipalization um, in in areas uh, so protection supply um, and distribution in some way as well and it was mainly people realized or like fought for a green transition but the simply did not deliver and um, even though I mean this, this Hamburg which I um, find a very interesting case not only because I'm originally it is a very fascinating ca case because first what um, like through um, back then the Green Party in Parliament, but also citizens' initiatives, they they tried to um, set up um, an energy supply company. So with a bit of production, actually a bit of wind production and supply. However, this changed very little. It was a good attempt of remunicipalization, but it, it hardly changed anything because the grid was still in the hands of a private provider, which is actually a, a Swedish um, company, so owned by the Swedish state, uh, Vattenfall. So, um, and the people realized, actually, if we don't um, re-municipalize the grid, we have no power in having more green energy, because if you produce more green energy, but your grid is not fit for purpose, the, a grid cannot you cannot source more like feed more green energy into the grid there's more, no point of producing more more um, green energy so you need to have a modernized grid which facilitates a green transition so the fought for remunicipalization big campaign um, uh, through referenda um, and so on and essentially one that the grid is in um, now in public ownership However, Vattenfall, the company which um, was the previous owner of the grid, is still producing most of the energy through a coal, uh, um, uh, coal fired, uh, like a, a power station through coal energy. Right. So we can see that we need to think of public ownership, especially in the energy uh, uh, sector, holistically. It's not enough to only remunicipalize supply. It's not enough to only think about the grid, but however, without the grid, you really can't, like if your grid is not functioning, you, th there's no way you, ha you can have more green energy, um, uh, an energy transition. And on top of that, we need to think about uh, production. And best is if the state has everything and public ownership this is right because I, I think i think everything you just described speaks to the question of centralization of certain sectors because uh, obviously that makes things much more uh, convenient to manage when we're talking about issues like you just described in hamburg which by the way i i can't but notice that the germans have privatized partially their uh, net uh, grid, whatever, to uh, to the Swedish publicly owned company, which is, yeah. Anyway, Pablo, I'd like you to weigh in. No, no but, that, but that that point that she was making is 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 key because I mean, fair use to the Commission when they 
thought through the, the liberalization of the sector, first they cut it like a sausage. Uh, and that becomes a, a real challenge. Uh, and yes, uh, some publicly owned companies aren't publicly owned companies, uh, just like state, uh, we call it SSOEs, no state. Uh, Yes, they don't, and, and uh, some of them can be really crony, and uh, I speak yeah, from well, the bitter experience of Eastern Europe. So yeah, well, uh, Huawei is, is not like a democratically run Chinese company. Uh, not that I prefer Huawei against uh, Microsoft or anything, but I mean, you know, yeah. uh, th there has to be this, this sense that when we talk about public ownership, we, we, we are up, that was, that's what we don't only just, uh, or just say state-owned, um, because it's not just the state, it's, it's the public, uh, it's society. There has to be mechanisms of control, there has to be participation, there has to be um, some uh, a, a level of co-management uh, to be defined, particularly in the electricity sector, because it's only happening at the low level. I mean, there is a, there is a real anger at the grid companies in many countries. Some, I, I mean, I've had talks in, in different forums with, um, with energy cooperatives and they, this was an example in, in the Netherlands, and they just said, we, we basically created our own cooperative. This is a middle-class, small neighborhood in a small town in the north of, of the Netherlands. So, because we hated the greed and how it, the greed behaves, how the company behaves. So we just wanted to be outside of the greed. So we basically became uh, independent. Now, we know we can because we all have houses and we have the capacity to do the investment and put uh, solar panels and a couple of windmills, um, but, but with another grid, we won't have this attitude. Uh, and, and that's the first step. What we need is like one or two governments that just say, right, the grid is, is changing his nature. And then he puts the pressure on the companies and who supplies to the grid. I mean, you had examples where subsidies were given to individuals to actually go green uh, by solar panels and so on and so forth to basically reduce the demand from the from the I mean the the the, the demand from the grid and they actually the, the big companies pushed for for legal for um, changes so these subsidies had to be given back so these people like getting a loan for like twenty thousand euros. You know, having a small company, having a little depot, and saying, "Okay, I will reduce to the minimum my my consumption," and then having to give back that money because they have to give back the the subsidies they actually got. I mean, the, the low credit and so on. This is happening in, in in different countries. So there is here a, a very serious pattern of behavior of like this is uh, the golden machine, uh, <laughs> like the King Midas of. Uh, the, the European market, and of course, shareholders, the owners, private investment funds, and those that defend their interests are extremely um, defensive of the current model, as we see in yeah. the debates around the COP and in the debates around the yeah, electricity before, market. Before we go, before we go to the COP, and before we switch gears to a little more general, uh, uh, to the little, to a little more general spectrum, I'd like to. Wait, wait, uh, can I can I respond to Yeah, to please go ahead. Please. Absolutely, Sorry, please go ahead. Um, yeah, I just wanted to respond to what said and also about the whole idea about mm, should we have a centralized um, um, of public ownership. Um, often people are a bit like, 
centralized you know you want everything like like the big state and so on but but encourage us to just take a step back and think like public like liberalization basically means you sort of things up like things in smaller and smaller pieces really lose control you already established we need to think about the energy system as a whole not just in its fragments and essentially means more and more patients which is not efficient however what we can see if some of the energy system are in public ownership most in the grid it does for other forms of public ownership. so denmark is a very example here denmark um in, in wind energy most importantly the in Denmark, surprise, surprise, under public ownership. All these wind, um, sometimes it's even like just one windmill owned by like a little community or so on, little cooperatives, little community owners of the wind production, so the production of the energy. However, because the state is owning the grid and is also paying for the windmills to be, um, to be hooked into the grid, um, it is actually possible that these energy communities exist mm. without the public ownership. It would be private and it's all down to profit. They would not actually exist because they're based in the market unless it's subsidized. So um, we see that ownership can go hand in hand. That's a positive example. But there's also like, like Pablo just outlined, a real danger goes smaller and say like oh yeah but i want to produce my own um, energy and we can do it in our community that essentially what we it's like mini prioritizations creating gated energy community where those people who uh, we are rich enough uh, to create their energy cooperative um, can produce their own energy in worst case scenario they're sorry there's a helicopter coming by i hope it wasn't too loud but anyway just that like in, in worst case scenario communities that they actually make a profit selling on the energy that they don't need so again almost like a form of many prioritizations and there's one case um in germany which i find very interesting in terms of remunicipalization it's in wolfhagen relatively small town in Germany, where first the grid was um, deprivatized to so remunicipalize. It was one of the first remunicipalizations in Germany. It won award after award because of their very efficient management um, now under public ownership, which then led to more remunicipalizations in Germany. So basically a showcase example. They then came to the conclusion that actually they want more um, direct uh, participation of the service users of of the energy um, they, uh, and they want to produce their own energy so it's not enough to just ha have the grid in public ownership but also to have more energy um, production so how they did it is that they um, created a, a cooperative which then basically became took shares of the stadtwerke of the public utilities and this is a very interesting example where, where it's a good example in terms of uh, citizens having more direct say. However, because you need to have 
um, a certain income to buy some shares, you could say, well, the shares are relatively low, uh, like I think they're around like 500 euros or, or something like that. I can remember it was 300 or 500, a couple of euros. The shares were a couple of, a couple of hundreds euros a year. Um, so maybe not that much. However, it means that only people who are paying into, into the cooperative have a say. So your way to participate democratically is directly linked to how much to the money you're putting in to the company this even though at that example that manage it very well you can only you know and get a limited number of shares and so on as well so not to not concentrate ownership too much in the in the cooperative i think they really thought it through but it points to the dangers that we have in cooperatives about direct sale, who has say, and who is not excluded and uh, not included. And this is what we always need to remember. If we think about public services, public services are supposedly for everybody. Everybody should, no matter their wealth, should have access to these public services. We call it universal access. And there is a danger with cooperatives that there is no universal access. So if we want to distinguish, oh, is this a good thing with cooperatives or a bad thing? We, I, I believe we should always think about it, well, who is included and who is not included? And if the answer is not universal access, um, I think there's a problem in the system. Right, right. That sounds like a very important point, especially that people get carried away when they hear things like cooperatives. They think it's just a fantastic, you know, thing that solves everything, you know, any problem that might occur and so on and so forth. So, yeah, mm -hmm. thanks for that. And, uh, well, you know, before we switch over to Cobb, which I would like you to comment on, I, I would like to ask, because I think this is the most important at the moment uh, for our viewers and listeners uh, the prices of the energy are skyrocketing. And you mentioned that, like in Spain, for example, it's what beating the record every second day, you said, or every second week, was it? Uh, so uh, I, I wonder, uh, could you could you elaborate uh, shortly on, on the question of how is this going to solve, uh, how, it, how it could address that problem? I mean, the question of, of ownership, because I think it, if our readers and listeners can make a, uh, sorry, listeners and viewers can make a direct link between, you know, the the prices and the question of ownership, I think that's a major stride forward. Well, of course, you know, we cannot say that by bringing the, the system in Europe back into public ownership, we would not have the crisis of uh, rising gas prices that was would still be an issue which is unchanged unchanged however if we look at it um in terms of the consumer prices if if the system is um public, there are a few advantages one like we discussed before if it doesn't need to be paid to the shareholders you also are already saving money because profit is a huge cost so if you cost um, and you have it not for profit then this allows you to really um, cut prices. So like we already established the country, but it's about 20 to 30% that it can be um, cheaper uh, due to ownership according to the study, which is from 2013. So it's an old study. But recent um, PSY uh, looked at the UK. And again, we found like, I think it was 25% reduction in the UK. Public ownership would achieve 
like through public ownership, um, we can, like can go down massively. It's not only because of the profit, but also in terms of the whole system, investment costs can be much cheaper. And this, um, the problem often is that the private um, can't invest too much and they're not enough. Um, and the problem with investing enough is that the example or other aspect of the energy system are not properly maintained. So it costs more if then they are in public ownership to then put them up to modernize them again and, and, and really main, maintain them as a proper system. We see many sectors, not just energy, water is the same and so on. So it's that's investment cost, but then it's also about um, uh, borrowing money. Of course, big investments the private sector usually does by um, on credit, borrowing money. But because the public sector can actually um, borrow money much cheaper, government bonds are cheaper than than on the private market. There's also um, uh, costs which can be saved. So, in generally, reasons why public ownership is cheaper. But then there's another aspect which is cru really crucial now when we look at the energy crisis with winter. And that is that if uh, the energy system is in ownership, the state has the ability or the municipality has the ability to cross-subsidize and to redistribute so that certain uh, people, like the wealthier people, pay more um, than uh, the, the, the poorer people. And at the moment, we have the opposite is the case, especially with meters and so on. Often the, the people who have the least money pay the most for their energy. If it would be in private ownership, it's possible to reverse that and say people, the wealthy are basically more. Another aspect, and this is for us to broaden out a little bit and think about public, public services as a whole, not just like all the energy system, the water system, the transport, that it is possible if everything is in public ownership to cross up between services um, and that is again key in um, finance services. Munich traditionally, for example, just to tell you one example of subsidies, and um, they actually use um, the income from the energy, because actually it was a state like big income to uh, cross their public transport. Um, of course, you can say, or oh, maybe this is you know of money we shouldn't use it into public transport. But the key is to think about all the country and Christ between different sectors and redistribute between different um, different groups of people, like wealth. Yeah. You have the ability of doing things when you own them. And, and you can, yeah, of course, I mean, public ownership for the sake of having like a state that controls your uh, breath and uh, your cardiac rhythm, no, no thank you. Um, but as, as policy capacity, you, you can actually do things. If you are in the Ministry of Energy and the Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of Environment and the, C2, the three together sit down and say, all right, we need to deploy something quickly, uh, it can be done. If you do not have the, the, the capacity, we've also discussed this in other podcasts, it's just you instruct and then nothing happens. 
Yeah, I guess that's the problem with uh, one of the problem with the current system is that you cannot tell a company what to do, like a private company. You cannot tell, at least. All right, uh, so let's switch gears and go to a bit broader uh, level. Uh, let's talk about COP, and I want uh, because both of you have reflections on that. I'm sure. I want to start with you, Vera. What are your what, what do you think about COP? About its conclusions? About uh, the dynamics that perhaps you observed uh, during uh, all the sessions, and how does it speak to uh, you know to the to your research? Because I know that uh, apart from the question of energy, which is definitely an important one for you from the point of view of the scientific research that you conduct, there's also the question of waste. So uh, please go ahead and and, and tell us uh, what are your uh, thoughts about COP in relation to those two uh, sectors, waste and energy. Yeah, um, so I was actually in COP for a different reason. So one, uh, so we uh, published a report together with Transition Economics on decarbonizing the public sector um, in the UK and um, looking at the UK's net zero targets. Uh, so this is like why I personally was at, at COP and presented this type of research there. And I think what is interesting is that, yeah, generally we should obviously welcome that, that there is something like COP and there, there is ambitions for climate change. Every, every, every ambition should be saluted. However, the problem is if we have um, more and more bigger targets, um, bigger ambitions, not followed by action. Um, and that's what we see, unfortunately, again and again um, here in, in the UK, um, a real plot problem with that um if we have targets but then the the action is not following and most importantly in order to have the action we need to put money there but the the money is not coming the, the government is not putting money uh, into it and boris johnson even said that he wants to unleash the creative power of capitalism in order to um, um to achieve those targets and there we see again it's like Relying on the private sector, which you know, research after research has shown, this is not a good way forward to success. So, what are we waiting for? Like, we don't have time to waste and to just say, like, oh, the private sector will do it, and we just like help the private sector to, you know, get their foot in the door, and that's basically everything we do um, from the public point of view. It's just simply not not enough, and that's um, quite frustrating. And in terms of energy as well, like, I mean, we see that. It's not going away from capitalism, and that's a problem. We need to understand that the more we consume, the more we produce, the more energy it, uh, you know we it would it takes, uh, the more carbon it takes, and um, the more waste is produced. So unless we change something about our system, our our capitalistic system, and um, we're not we, we're not gonna get there. And just like oh, the UK is doing so well, and then blaming other countries for not doing so well. It's like oh, UK is doing well because it's basically de-industrialized, like produced in the UK anymore. So um, in that sense, it's it's doing well by not producing. But then you know it's it still happens elsewhere in the world. So other than playing this blame game of like oh who's doing better in terms of the targets, wish that action is following, and the money for the action is, is is following, and therefore the government needs to take a responsibility, no matter which government or governments together and um, not outsource it to the private sector. Well, yeah, if, if I may just shove myself uh, in, it's just, I mean, 
I don't know how many times we're going to need to say that, probably many times, but I mean, market solutions won't reach the target. And, and that is what needs to be hammer home. And that's whatever the decision in the cup is, ambitious, non-ambitious, is like this, because it hasn't worked with like the greening of the energy sector. Um, we also had a, a podcast uh, a few weeks ago uh, on that, but it's just like it needs to be an out-of-the-market uh, proposal with public funds. It's, otherwise, the, the incentive is going to be very little. And, you know, the current system, you know, when I was saying capitalism goes through incentive. So if there is no return, there won't be an investment. And there is no return. That's true. So, so uh, you know, it just doesn't work. It, would it be very profitable? Would work. All right. So that was it for this uh, edition of EPSU Podcast. I want to thank very much Pablo Sanchez, who is the co-host of the program. And I want to thank very, very much Vera, uh, who uh, thanks again for taking the time and for sharing your insights and knowledge uh, regarding the uh the issues uh, of energy market, energy privatization, energy liberalization, and all other uh, things that have affected our daily lives all over Europe, pretty much all over the global north, I would say. So uh, thank you very much. I uh, would like to uh, say to our listeners and to our viewers that it makes sense for you to go to the EPSU website, EPSU.org and to subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to the podcast uh, on uh, so that you don't miss out on the next editions. Thanks again. Keep fighting and stay healthy. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you, everyone.